so tonight we are finishing up our time right now in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're finishing it up with chapter 28, which is the final chapter of Matthew, and it is the account of what happens just after Jesus is laid into the tomb. So before we begin tonight, one thing that I thought might be useful is uh, to kind of recapture some of the feelings and some of the emotions that the disciples or the followers of Christ may have been thinking or feeling at the time. And I think this might be useful. I know that if you, this, maybe this week you attended Monday, Thursday, or attended Good Friday, then you might already have a sense for what was felt. But if you weren't necessarily engaged with that kind of uh, framework, then sometimes, at least in my perspective, Easter just kind of shows up. You, know, you go to church on Sunday morning and you're happy because God did something and you're kind of told why God did something, but you might not know why is it important. So I thought if we kind of started there and maybe just, we don't have to necessarily read every part of chapter 27, but just recapture the emotions. You have the disciples, their leader, Jesus, arrested. And I, I really can't imagine what that would feel like, except that I would probably be afraid. I mean, you have a rowdy group of people coming with clubs and other various devices to hurt you. And they come and they arrest the guy that is not just your friend, but whom you to believe in one way or the other to be the Messiah. Whether you thought he was the Messiah that was coming to free Israel from political domination, or maybe you actually had some inkling that, no, there is something more going on here. Whatever it is, the guy that you had devoted your life to is being arrested and is not just arrested, but then is, is convicted falsely, um, convicted again or sentenced by Pilate falsely. And then you witness, at least in the story of Matthew, you witness Peter's denial, so you're kind of put in that situation, and you you read further on about Jesus being mocked and spit on and essentially tortured. Okay, because crucifixion, we all know, is just one of the most horrible ways that a person can die. So you're witnessing all this. You might have some fear of receiving some of that reprisal yourself. At least it seems like the disciples had some fear. They were, they were afraid of something. And then you see the one, the one you believe to be the Messiah die. And this week, I don't know, but for me, I just, I thought about that a lot. Like, what would it feel like to see something that you really believed was going to happen? I mean, you, they really believed, again, some, some way that this was the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, it ends. It literally ends with death on a cross. And I don't think we get the impression from the text, either from what we've read or from the other gospel accounts, that anybody was really sitting in an upper room somewhere thinking, oh, don't worry, he's going to come back in three days. In fact, as we read in chapter 28, we're going to see surprise, right? The disciples running. Uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are, you know, they're surprised. So, I wanted to try and capture that feeling before we started getting into 
into the resurrection because I think we skip over it too much. I think what we have here is a really profound sense of loss. I mean, what does that kind of loss of hope look like? What does that look like for us? I was trying to think this week of what that might look like, and I'm not sure I can really come up with an example. Is there anything in our own lives that we believe so much in that if we were to lose it, we'd really lose all hope? Yeah. Well, I guess even the belief in Christianity, like, like at least for someone who's raised in that environment, like, if that's entirely erased and taken away, like, and that's what looks looked to as being like the hope and everything. It's sort of like what Christianity has is some hope. So if that's taken away, even though it's the same idea, I guess it's not really something different. I think that's actually an interesting parallel because um, maybe it comes in the form of what someone might call like that dark night of the soul, right? Or maybe it comes in the form of an actual crisis in your life where you just don't know, like, like genuinely. Like someone says, oh, just have hope. And you think to yourself, that doesn't make sense to me anymore. Because it would be strange for someone to have come up to the disciples in those days when Jesus laid in the tomb. And for them to say, just have hope. Hope in what? What is going to happen? It's not like, just have hope, you've lost your job, you'll get a new one. Okay, I can believe that. That's believable. This, to me, at least seems like something that really is more than just casual hope. Like, I hope this works out. In fact, I don't, wanna, I don't know the minds of the disciples, but part of me thinks, I think if you had told them, I came from the future, Jesus raised from the dead three days from now, I think they would, well, they'd look at you crazy for many reasons, but uh, at least I think in some of their minds, they might say, that's just, I, no, I, just, I, just, I don't think that's going to happen. I wonder how much that mindset infects us as we live our lives. And I hope that by the end of tonight, we're going to come back to that and, and try and pull some of these ideas together to look at what is the actual hope that's provided to us by the resurrection. It is something that we can depend on. It, it is something that's real. Because now, we're going to jump right into everything changes. So this is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. I'm just going to read them and then pull out some of the ideas here, and then we can have a conversation about them. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So in the previous uh, chapter, we had an earthquake and dead people coming back from the dead. Uh, and again, John alluded last week to the idea that Matthew might not actually be placing these events in a that's not the event that they occurred, that Jesus died and then this other thing happened. In fact, we're going to talk about that real quick in this verse too because some of that's going on here. But Matthew really paints a very interesting picture here. You've got, uh, first of all, two women. Two women. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They're the first ones to go to the tomb. 
They're the first ones, according to the Gospel of Matthew, who Jesus reveals himself to. It's interesting. In fact, there are some commentators who will say that the first actual apostles of Jesus were women, not the 12 disciples. That there were actually women who were following Jesus, not in the same way that the apostles, the disciples had, but were the first ones to really get on board. So in light of that, it might not be so surprising because you remember also that these women were standing at a distance during the whole crucifixion. They watched the whole thing. Okay, one thing that we want to keep in mind too, women in the ancient world, we all know, were, were very low on the social scale. Okay, so the fact that they were at a distance might be out of just the reality that there was nothing they could do. All they could do was watch. And all they could do was watch from a distance. But it's interesting here that these two women come and they're the first ones there. Okay? Now, uh, we have them appearing. They come and then they see an angel from heaven. And they see that the stone has been rolled back and that the angel was sitting on it. Now, the other three Gospels record this a little bit differently. In the other three Gospels, the women find the angel on the inside of the tomb. And again, last week we talked about how Matthew doesn't necessarily put things in order. Many scholars are, have argued that this is actually what Matthew is doing here is like the first century uh, version of the flashback. You know, like in the movie, the screen will go all fuzzy and you'll, you'll know it's a flashback just because that's, that's what they do in movies. And in terms of Matthew and the literary device being employed here, it's actually operating as a flashback. So the breaking of the stone is consistent with the other gospel accounts in that the Mary Magdalene and the other Mary didn't actually see the breaking of the stone. Likewise, later, they also didn't see the guards faint. So what some have argued is that they actually showed up on the scene with the stone already broken, the guards are, they look like they're dead, and now the story continues. So Matthew is kind of, op this is actually like an inserted flashback to kind of get you, get the story caught up, and then he's going to move on to what at least he feels, at least Matthew feels, is the most important part. Uh, we, we have other cases of it happening in Matthew where Matthew seems to like insert these, um, like almost like historical reviews. But he doesn't tell you that. And the English translation doesn't tell you, and now this is a flashback. Like it doesn't put it in parentheses. Okay, but that is at least one of the devices operating, not just in this biblical text here, but it operates in other texts, other religious texts of the time too. So, I, I just think that we should know, like we always do when we cover this, that it's still interesting that he used women as the witnesses. And I know that's one of the things that apologists like to use, that if you're going to invent a story, you wouldn't have women be your first witnesses just because their testimony was disregarded in the first century. So just as a note, uh, I think yeah. we should fairly note it. You know, if you're going to invent something, you would use women first. We look at the violent earthquake, and from the previous chapter, we look at the saints walking out of their tombs as, as shocking. But the fact that there's women here would have been shocking, at least to many first century readers. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. At least many readers would have caught on to that, like, wow, he's appearing to these people who don't have any power. It's interesting, you're gonna see a shift in power, right? The people who crucified Christ had all the power. Pilate, the Roman guards, the Sanhedrin, they had all the power. 
And in chapter 28, you see this massive switch to where everybody who had power has none, and the people who had no power will now have everything. And we'll see this at the end and in the form of the Great Commission. And in terms of just the idea that God now pours out upon his disciples the Holy Spirit, and you have all these things that start happening. Okay? Because, again, we're no longer bound to this, this old system. Okay, let's keep reading. So the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Again, another interesting thing to note here is in almost every encounter that somebody has with an angel, they're terrified, right? The guards are so afraid that they become like they're dead. The women, at least, don't appear to have the same response to the angel. So it's almost like the angel comes, splits the rock, does this amazing thing, raises Jesus from the dead, these guards see this, or at least they see part of it, they, and they pass out. So by the time that the women come, they're seeing something a little bit different. At least their interaction with the angel is different enough that they, at least according to the Gospel of Matthew, they leave with great joy, which is very unique amongst many angelic experiences because a lot of ange most angelic experiences are terror. People are afraid. And they don't seem to have the same response, which again would, might indicate that this is two separate events going on here. Again, that Matthew is collapsing the timetable and he's not telling you this. You'll notice also, we don't actually get a very descriptive statement about what the resurrection actually looked like. We're just told in the Gospel of Matthew, he rose. You did, I mean, it does still say that there's fear and joy mixed, right, in their response. So there, because I, I agree with you in the sense that sometimes people fall over or they're, you know, extremely terrified. So there seems to be less, but there's still some sort of fear involved as well. Right? The end result, though, is different. So the, the soldiers fall out of terror and they stay in that state of terror. I'm sure at least the women had to be surprised by it. I mean, I, I would suspect, I would be very surprised if an angel came down and told me that the guy I thought was dead was now back from the dead and that I was talking to an angel. So there would be some hesitancy there. But it's interesting to note that they don't just stay in that response of fear, right? They actually leave in a, with a sense of joy. The only thing I'd like to point out is that that it seems to indicate that those are two separate events where if they had seen the event that made the other guards be fearful, they themselves might have also been fearful, fearful, which indicates that this is probably like the, fl the flashback part that you know, Matthew's inserting here to just keep the story going. And, and obviously, I believe received a message here that, this, that the guards didn't. And maybe as you kind of hinted at, that the women seem to have a strong faith. I mean, that's why they're there, presumably. Why aren't the disciples, you know, to, to also honor Jesus by giving spices and different things like that that they should have done? So, you know, that that would be a joyful thing to receive that message and be like, wow. <laughs> so. Yeah, 
at some point, it's, it's so curious that the disciples, until they're told about this, they're not there. It's like, I mean, it's like they traveled with this guy, and he did talk about this, but either they weren't thinking about it, or it wasn't on their level, or they just, whatever, just they were so afraid. It's interesting that they didn't even come to see. Maybe since he said he was going to raise on the third day, they didn't know when to start counting. Was that from Friday or from Saturday? <laughs> like, they just didn't know like how it was going to work. So when that side of Christian was like, I'm confused. Isn't it three days? I was like, uh, yeah. No, it's on the third day. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the third day. Um, it's interesting because you had talked about earlier about um, what seeing that seeing the person that you've been following, you know, just all of a sudden that end. And so, because um, I, I didn't think about that, what you had mentioned right now is why weren't they there, you know? I mean, presumably with those guards there, I'm sure they were still operating in, in, a, in a state of terror and not wanting to be identified as a follower still and still kind of in denial of that. But I think it's interesting that, I mean, those feelings, like you said, that they were feeling at the time, you know, that state of, man, like, you know, yeah, he said he was going to rise, but there's guards there, that, you know, there's all these things there, and then God takes those obstacles out of the way and, says, and you know, and presents it to them. Right, in fact, not just God taking it out of the way, God overcomes the obstacles. You'll recall from the ending of verse 27, right, they get a guard or several guards to protect the tomb, to seal the tomb. I mean, the, 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 the members, the, the Jews ask for this because somewhere, at least, they heard this rumor that he'd come back from the, I mean, they even knew. That's what's so, that's what was so startling about this. At least in the Gospel of Matthew, that the leaders who had just crucified him were aware of his claims of coming back from the dead. So in order to prevent that from happening, or in order to prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body, should they choose to try and do that, which we don't have any indication that they did, they had a guard there, the tomb was sealed, the rock, the whole thing. So imagine, like in our day, that would be high-tech security system, and, you know, I don't know, Matt's running it, so it's got, like, Google, Google's involved somehow, and, you know, and it's awesome, and you can't penetrate it. I mean, that's, that's what's going on here, just, but this is a first century version, okay? So it's really quite remarkable then that the rock is split, okay? The obstacle has been overcome. Again, to us, maybe it doesn't seem like that big of a story, but back then, I mean, in one of the Gospels, it talks about, you know, they, the, the Mary, they weren't even sure how they'd get the stone moved, Okay, so they weren't expecting this. Okay, so the angel says, there you will see him. Uh, go get his disciples. Let's continue reading. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Now remember, at this point, they've only seen the angel. Okay. So suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. So immediately, they recognize, and they just fall down and worship. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And the reason Galilee is important is that's because that's where most of them were from. That's where most of the disciples were from. So it's interesting that he's telling them to go back to where it began. And if you remember from the early part of the church, the church ministry started in Jerusalem, right? And then it kind of branched out to the Gentiles. 
So it's interesting here that Jesus is instructing them, go back to where it started. Okay. So, uh, immediate response to seeing the resurrected Christ is they fall down on their knees and they worship. I suspect that most of us, if we had experienced that intense sense of loss and loss of hope, might respond in exactly the same way. This is Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. First problem. If you're a Roman guard and you're caught falling asleep, I'm pretty sure that the punishment was death. I have to double check that. That was a number of years ago in Greco-Roman world history, so I don't remember. It was a very severe punishment. So the fact that some guy comes up to you and says, hey, uh, just tell them you were asleep. How much money, this is the game we play, like how much money <laughs> would you need? A lot of money, because your very life could be at stake here. Your one job was to stand in front of this tomb and guard it to make sure that nothing left and nothing got in. So the, the Jews devised this plan, or at least according to the, the elders devised this plan, and they go to the soldiers and they say, okay, here, we'll give you lots of money. Say you were asleep. Okay, and that while you were asleep, not doing your job, they stole his body away. So if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they do offer, okay, even if this gets out, right? Um, so somebody says, how did Jesus' body disappear? And they says, well, I was asleep. And then you go and you tell the governor. They're, they're even offering at that point, somehow, I don't know how, we'll take care of it for you. And I don't even know how they could guarantee that. That, that just seems like a really bold promise to make. Because the governor doesn't care about this. The governor cares about getting in trouble with Rome. He doesn't care at all about this. So the soldiers took the money, and they did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Okay, so at least according to the Gospel of Matthew, there's a rumor that has spread during his time that the disciples came and stole the body. So many scholars have argued that the, one of the only reasons this is in this part here is to kind of shut that rumor down. And the reason that this might be true, right, is that we do know, at least in chapter 27, and we do know from other sources, that there were guards posted. So we know they were there. We know that there were guards who witnessed it, uh, crucifixion. So it would seem strange, therefore, that if we know, from other sources at least, that there were guards there guarding the tomb, that was their job. Why would they even begin to invent some rumor about the body being gone and they were asleep? It just becomes complicated at that point. And if they witnessed all of that to the point where they were so afraid that two of them were like dead, it's like... They were, maybe they were just passed out. How do you then see that and be like, oh crap, this guy really is God. Now I'm going to go lie about it. And like, I don't, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I feel like even if the guards are there, then like, it seems like they are, 
even if they're not going to say, well, we fell asleep and they took them, still this body is gone one way or the other. And so either way, they're probably screwed. One way, they're getting a lot of money, though. Um, and they have a story for them. You know, like, so it just seems like, even if they didn't fall asleep, like, they still didn't do their job. Like, so the body's gone. Right, we know that it's, it's I'm not sure if it, it really doesn't give you the rundown of what happens first, right? The angel appears, splits the rock. The guards, at that point, fall asleep. So maybe they don't even, they don't even witness the resurrection of Jesus necessarily, right? In fact, the church tradition has wanted to maintain that the first people to see the resurrected Christ were not the Roman guards, but were in fact followers. So if, if that were the consistent story, then, yeah, in this case, they would have seen something crazy that they couldn't explain, and somehow while they were asleep, after being terrified into unconsciousness, the one, yeah, the one job that they were supposed to do, they failed at. At that point, you might not be concerned. I mean, you don't even know how it left. You don't know anything about this crazy Messiah stuff. You're worried about your own job and your own life, and you, yeah. You might just respond by saying, okay, what do we do? I mean, the, the, the elders could be t yelling you at the face. Oh, he claimed, you know, they, he claimed he would be resurrected, yada, yada. You're like, I, I don't care about that. I need to keep my job in my life. So what are we going to do here? At least to me, that would seem like a plausible outcome of that. Again, if you didn't actually witness the resurrection, then you'd have no reason to really believe that Jesus was resurrected. Remember, at least in the tradition, he doesn't appear to the, to the guards. Right? He appears to Mary, Mag Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, then to the disciples. So they don't even know. So it could come down to simple job security. Oh, and life pres preservation of life. <laughs> okay, it's also, again, just interesting to note that at least some of the elders or some of the leaders of the Jews were circulating stories that the disciples came and kidnapped the body. Even though that makes them look bad too, right? I mean, they went through all the steps to seal it so that someone couldn't do that. And somehow, again, it happened. Okay, and then later, of course, Jesus appears to numerous people. So it begins to become a problem. The other thing to note, uh, there are many false Messiahs, many people who appeared and said, oh, I'm the Messiah, and then, then they died or they were crucified or, or they were stoned, and then their followers would you know, create an uproar for a couple of months and they'd be beaten down and the insurrection would go away. You know. In the case of Christianity, that didn't happen. So that's at least an interesting footnote. That at least the, 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 the disciples who came after the resurrection and who saw the resurrected Christ went on and most of them were martyred. And they faced excruciating, painful deaths. It's, at least it's hard for me to believe that someone would do that for something that they were only halfway sure about. Yeah. It's also interesting the idea that <clears throat> the rumor that, the, that they would steal away the body, because it doesn't seem to make sense with, I don't think the Jews had any concept of the Messiah as someone who would die, first of all, and second of all, would somehow raise the life. I mean, some Jews did have the belief in the resurrection, some did not, but it surely is vague as to whether there's a body involved, you know, all these other existential questions, if you will. So it's a strange plot to me also because 
why would the disciples steal the body anyways? Like, why would that, that doesn't seem to be in their backdrop anyway, so why are they even framing it like that, which is interesting. I mean, it seems, again, it seems to indicate <clears throat> the idea that the, ju- the chief priests, all these people have no clue, and they're just looking for, as you were pointing out, anything to, to cover this up. It's curious also because, um, I mean, that's, I feel like they could have come up with a better story besides the disciples came and took it because that seems to kind of um, make the disciples look like you know, that's a bold act to do, you know. So I think that kind of also, um, I think, I, I don't know, it's just that story just seems interesting that they would come up with that instead of something else. So I don't know why. I think to piggyback off of what Morgan is saying too, like, I mean, that's the whole reason that Paul is writing 1 Corinthians 15. Because even Christians are confused about bodily resurrection. And even Christians at this, at this time, as they start to get the idea of resurrection, are still thinking, well, it must be like a spiritual resurrection of some kind. And that persists in the church for a while, and it takes Paul writing some pretty strongly worded uh, language, tying it to the crucifixion and the resurrection and the bodily resurrection. And, and so for Matthew or anybody else, to base their story off of the body and stealing it just makes it seem strange because most people would have thought if you mean he was resurrected, you mean spiritually, like he would leave his body behind. You don't even need it. You would just see him places. But that's why the body becomes such an interesting twist in the story that if you're trying to invent it, you would probably just leave the body out of it entirely. Remember, the, these Jewish leaders, they do say whether or not they actually believed in a resurrection of the Messiah, they do say that, that this Jesus had said things like that. So they're at least aware of the idea. Maybe not because they believe it, but just because that's what he said he would do. So that's why they, yeah, they, they get this gut reaction and they just they go crazy overboard, right? I mean, they ask for uh, soldiers and, and seal it. Make sure nothing happens here, and it still does. Also, uh, we have in other Gospels, right, um, uh, Thomas, right, doubting Thomas, and, and again, going to the point why at least the physical resurrection is important. Jesus actually says, you know, touch, my, touch the holes in my hands. Also, Jesus eats with them, because there seems to be uh, at least a fear that he was a ghost. So even some of the disciples, there's some conversation about, oh, is this a ghost appearing to us? And to kind of get around that, Jesus says, oh, give me some food to eat. So, yeah, there is this idea even early on, right, before Paul is writing. There is an important part to this physical resurrection of this body. And that that body ascends into heaven. So, yeah, again, and what John is referring to later in the early church, there's a lot of battles with something called Gnosticism and, and a lot of this kind of platonic thinking where the spirit is better than the body, body's bad, get rid of the body, and, you know, resurrection is just spirit, and only spirit is good. So, not that Paul is necessarily fighting that, but that actually becomes a big battle later in the church. Okay, so this is the last five verses of Matthew. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
interesting. There's like a huge debate about that phrase right there, but some doubted. There's some transcripts or some ancient manuscripts that seem to say, but all doubted. Some say, but some doubted. Or some translated as, but others doubted. I did not know this until this week when I was reading. So uh, most translations say some doubted because it refers specifically to the disciples. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to say the others doubted. What others? We're not, we're not given any, indi any indication that there are others there. We're told it's just the disciples. And they don't all seem to doubt. That would be strange. So anyways, Greek is a real fun language. But there's a, apparently there's a big debate about that. Yeah. But that's still a shocking statement, even if it's just that some doubted. I mean, throughout the whole Gospel of Matthew, we've seen the like, disciples go back and forth between getting it and not getting it. And like even here in the last few verses, like right before the credits roll, they still, <laughs> some of them still don't get it. And I, I, I think, I've been reflecting this week about why, I and mean, maybe, maybe it's just too much to wrap your head around. But even after the resurrection, the fact that some are still doubting just just that when I read that this week, it just really stood me. Those three words are almost like the most amazing words in Matthew. Standing in front of the resurrected Lord, there's still people who would doubt. Maybe we who always want to see God, or I'll believe in Him if He shows me, and all that stuff. Like it sounds like here, are these people who follow Him, who would recognize Him, and then who finally see Him in His resurrected form, still doubt. I think that we ask too much when we want everything with our eyes. Notice who didn't doubt. Mary Magdalene, and yeah, immediately when they saw him, we're told that they fall to the ground and they worship. Immediately. Why does Jesus tell them, don't be afraid? That always stood out to me. If Morgan died and three days came back to life, I, um, I might be creep, more creeped out, honestly, than... <laughs> or there's also the idea of seeing Jesus in his resurrected form and his glory. I mean... It may be that it takes a little getting used to <laughs> seeing Jesus in his glory. It might also indicate more, t at least to the kind of personal level, it might also indicate the type of hope they weren't even really aware of. I mean, it might reveal more about the fact that either they weren't really hoping that this was going to happen, or even if they were kind of semi-conscious of the fact that Jesus had talked about this, and maybe even at some level hoped that something would happen, right, that this wasn't the end, even though they saw the crucifixion, just like confronted all of a sudden with the resurrected Christ, who is in body, but also is in a new body. Or if you realize he did rise from the dead and that you had doubted it, maybe that's why they're afraid, like, oh, we doubted you, and you know it, and here you are. Well, if, you, if, you, if he's risen from the dead and you're going to anoint the body, you're probably holding the stuff in your hand. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, like, I thought you were still you didn't yeah. believe me that I was going to rise from the dead? Like, no, no, we believe you. Like, like, why are you yeah. holding spices? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of makes sense. We're both spices. Let's keep reading, then we're going to talk about the next couple of verses. So then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, I like to paint this picture as this is the movement of all the power, right? 
at least in the crucifixion. All the power belonged to the religious leaders, it belonged to the Pilate, it belonged to the Romans, and it was all there. And now, after crucifixion and a loss of hope, you have the resurrected Christ, and he says, without a doubt, that all power and authority on earth is given to me. That's not just, that's just not a startling statement. They're visibly seeing it. There is nothing, not even death, that stops him. It doesn't matter what the Sanhedrin had planned. It doesn't matter what legal procedures took place or didn't take place. It doesn't even matter that he was crucified and died. It's a powerful statement. And it's powerful because it's coming from a guy who was just resurrected and is now standing in front of people who just are, it's just now starting to click. You know, before when he was alive, before he was crucified, he talked all the time about these different things. And I'm going to give this to you and you're going to be this and, and you're going to be my disciples and you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And now he's here in resurrected form proving it, showing it. I do have this authority. I mean, what else does he have to do? Yeah. I think it's also just interesting to note, kind of going back to the beginning of Matthew, like in the wilderness where Satan was tempting him, saying, like, I'll give you this authority, you know, over earth at least. And now he's saying, like, not only do I have authority over earth, but I've given, been given everything. Right. Yeah, you have, I mean, if, if all of us just stop for a second, and if we go back through and we look through what we've read in the Gospel of Matthew, it's all coming to a climax here where the resurrected Christ stands before his disciples and says, the game has changed. And what you thought or what you didn't understand, now, you need, now look and see. So it's not just him telling somebody, here's what's going to come. It, it just happened. It's, so, it's such a powerful, moving statement. I think too often we just kind of like, we read right over, yes, we have authority through Jesus Christ. But I can't imagine what it would be like being, gosh, being Peter, who would deny him three times. Or, or being any, any of the others, or perhaps being whoever it was that doubted still. I don't even know what you'd be feeling at that point. We have also, finishing out here, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here we have the Great Commission text. One thing that I would like to at least point out here when I've heard the Great Commission, you know, you go to church, you always hear the Great Commission sermon like, twice a year. And I don't ever recall it being in the context of the resurrection. And that's interesting. Because I think if you divorce the resurrection from the Great Commission, you actually lose, I think, one of the main driving points of the Great Commission. At least I think you also lose some meaning in terms of the resurrection because what I might argue is that 
the resurrection really only makes sense in light of this. And the Great Commission really only makes sense in light of resurrection. Because at this point, it's not just something he's telling you to do. Now, I mean, he does go back and he says, okay, remember all those things I taught you? So yeah, those guys who were thinking, oh, Jesus is dead, I guess I don't have to give up all my things now. No, you're wrong. No, you do. <laughs> okay, you were there for that. I taught you that. You need to obey that. You need to model this lifestyle. Like when we go to the book of Matthew, giving to the poor, helping the oppressed, being told to go further when you can't go further, when you don't have to go further. You have all these things you're commanded to do. And now Jesus is resurrected and comes back and puts the exclamation point in it. Now, go and do that. But you don't have to do it just in vain. You, you can do it because I've given you the authority. I've given you the power. And I've given you the authority and the power because I was resurrected. I've overcome the obstacles in your way. Even death, which every one of us in here will face and which most of them faced in terrible ways. I think, at least for me, the Great Commission makes a little bit more sense in terms of resurrection. At least I know for me, I had never really connected the two. In fact, when we did our thing on the Great Commission, I, don't, I know I didn't talk at all about resurrection. And that, that strikes me as strange now. Because this is not just go out and just do something. This is go out, do the things I commanded you, do the things I'm asking you to, to obey me in, and do it because of what I, what I overcome. It's about the power that we have to bring about change in the world through salvation that God provides to us in light of this resurrection event. Yeah. I really like the last statement too. I feel like that's one of the you know, most powerful promises that, that Jesus says that he's going to be with his disciples. And I mean, he speaks it to his immediate disciples, but I believe implicitly that this has always applied to all those who, who call themselves disciples and follow Christ that um, you know, again, I mean, if, if we even go back to our <laughs> suffering and pain series, is how do you make sense of that? Um, I don't know. We, we do conclude that it's a very mysterious thing, but things like this makes us say, but God at minimum is with us, and he understood suffering and what we saw on the cross, uh, and that he doesn't abandon us. And then the book of Acts is going to show us, you know, the giving of the Spirit, specifically how God is <laughs> literally with us in a very unique way. Um, that's an amazing promise that we can jump over or, or, or just minimize, you know, just like all authority, you know, just you read it and you're like, oh yeah, God's always with me. And it's like, that's, if you really believe that God is always with you, I mean, that's, that's quite a phenomenal thing. Yeah, so now we come to the end of Matthew. Uh, and again, just as we close, I think it's very important for us to at least consider and to reflect on the way in which Matthew presents these concluding verses. Yes, all authority in heaven and on earth is now given to Jesus. And in turn, this is given to us. At least, it is in us in the sense that we are commanded to go and in the name of Christ, do these things, make disciples and to obey but also it's deeply connected to this resurrection event 
that these disciples, even though they didn't see the resurrection themselves, they now have the resurrected Messiah standing in front of them. That might be enough to propel me forward. The question is, and I don't want to answer it tonight, it's something I think that each of us should think about is, why sometimes does that not seem enough for us? Jesus seems to, at one point he says, uh, blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. And sometimes I've read that and thought to myself, is that us? Because I really would have liked to have seen this. I've thought if I could go back in time, I might go, I don't know if I'd go all the way back to like 4 BCE, because I don't know that I want to see the whole thing, but maybe just go back to around the years we think Jesus was alive. And, you know, just that would provide confirmation. It's not going to happen. And am I wrong in thinking that way? So, I, I mean, I think it's a, a question that at least pops up for me, and it's something for each of us to consider. These guys went forth, and Christianity became the dominant religion and one of the dominant defining forces of Western civilization for the next 2,000 years. It didn't die. It wasn't crushed. Even under heavy persecution later, it didn't die. And they did what they were commanded. And so if we bring it back to ourselves, what is it that prevents us from really buying into that same belief? And again, I think it's something that's more personal that we have to ask ourselves, but it's something to think about. Do we really believe that Christ has the authority and the power to overcome even the problems in our own lives? Do we really believe enough that we're going to obey and make disciples? And do we really believe that Christ is always with us even to the end? Again, I, I, I put them out there as more of just in light of this resurrection, in light of the gloriousness of Easter, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, do we really believe? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, not just for the opportunity to come together and to meet. We thank you for the opportunity to read scripture. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your story. We thank you for the opportunity to fellowship with one another and to commune with you. And most of all, we thank you for this act of death, and resurrection. We thank you for life eternal. We thank you for the opportunity to spend not just our eternal lives, but this life now with you. And we pray these things in your son's name.